welcome everyone. If you're new here, we're going through a six-week series on purpose. And we're right smack bang in the middle of it. Week three, we took a break last week. Um, uh, and um, we're looking at that age-old question that every human being that's ever walked the earth at some point has to stop and ask, what on earth am I really here for? What is my purpose? Now, more than ever, we have so much information and inspiration and entertainment at our fingertips. But far from leaving us more inspired and equipped to find and live lives of purpose, more and more people are disillusioned, concluding that actually at the end of the day, we have no real purpose. Here's a quote from a recent Guardian article. Nihilism is back in fashion. And for younger people, the idea that existence is meaningless is actually cause for celebration. In fact, some have even labeled our current era as the age of nihilism. That means, nihilism basically means believing that nothing really means anything. It's, it's all meaningless. Last year, on opposite sides of the world, two high schoolers presented TEDx talks that went viral globally, all about nihilism. Elias Scholborg was one of them, and during his presentation, he reminded the audience that if you died right now, it wouldn't make a difference, big picture. If you'd never been bored, no one would really care. And according to Elias and a whole generation, that's actually quite a liberating thought to come to. While advocates of this kind of philosophy claim that owning up to this cold, hard reality is actually liberating, global stats would beg to differ. You see, people aren't just losing their sense of purpose at an unprecedented rate. They're literally losing their lives. According to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the rate of suicide among those aged 10 to 24 increased nearly 60% between 2007 and 2018. I looked for more recent stats and they're not really available, but it's predicted that they have significantly risen since the global pandemic and all um, of the, the knock-on consequences of that. The rates of depression and crippling anxiety are also at an all-time high. Just reading through um, those kind of stats, I was reminded of that ancient Proverbs, and 20, Proverb 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you take God out of the picture and a belief that there is an all-wise, all-loving, all-powerful creator that created you for a purpose, then purposelessness makes complete sense. If we were not made with a higher purpose in mind by a higher being, then our existence is essentially a cosmic fluke or accident and inherently meaningless. People without vision or purpose don't just perish, but if you look around you, they turn on each other. That's why accompanying the rate of suicides and anxiety and depression, we see corresponding increases in conflict and hostility everywhere. Blame, offense, and outrage. Factionalism and cliques. Addictions that don't just destroy individuals, but families and communities. Why? Well, without a purpose, we spiral downwards, and we look for people to blame for our misfortunes. We get more and more inward-looking, and less outward focus. We battle to withstand temptation and toxicity. Ask any recovering addict, and they'll tell you that the penultimate step in the world-famous 
12-step program that's worked for decades is this, to discover the God-given plan for your life. It's the antidote to addiction, purpose. Today, as we continue looking at this theme, we're going to look at one shared purpose that all Christ followers share. And it's this, to become more like Christ. To become more like Christ is your purpose. I'm sure if if you've been in a church before or you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you go, yeah, I I know this. I I know that I'm meant to become more like Christ. Even maybe once you wore that WWGD JD um, (laughs) bracelet. And um, if you're anything like me, you've gone through times of feeling like, gee, maybe I'm getting there and other times of just feeling quite despondent. And I felt like God wanted to um, meet us today and do some deep work in our understanding of what it means for us to be Christ-like. What it means for you in your life to become more like Christ. It's not some extra black belt level of Christianity. It's not like this thing you've got to go and write on your chalkboard at home and like try and remember to do every day. Now, if you're not a Christ follower here, please just relax. I hope this message helps you to better understand and appreciate how Christianity really isn't just another relationship, but at its deepest part, it's about, uh, not another religion, but it's about a relationship with a God that is seeking to reform and reform the deepest parts of us to look more like himself. We're going to look at Philippians 2 today, and I'm going to read it and then unpack a little bit about what we find about this purpose of Christ-likeness. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 16. This was written by Paul toward the end of his life. Um, He wasn't writing it uh, in the context of a crisis to the Philippian church. He was just writing it out of a deep well of gratitude and appreciation and love for these people uh, in this community that he had been part of forming. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him in the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but more so in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then... You will shine among them like stars in the sky. This is the word of God. And if you were to just summarize this passage, I know it was quite a lengthy one, um, it would really be Paul telling his friends, 
Guys, at the end of the day, your purpose is to become more and more like Christ. So let's unpack three questions. What does it mean to be more like Christ? To be more like Jesus? Why aren't we more like Jesus? And how do we become more like Him? So question one, what does it mean to be more like Jesus? From these verses, it seems if you're going to become more like Jesus, you've got to become more humble, more servant-hearted, and more sacrificial in your love. It's all over the place. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of Christ, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a very, in very nature a servant. Christ was deeply humble. He came to embody God-likeness to us. And yet he showed us that God-likeness is, is servanthood. He didn't come to take advantage of people. He didn't come self-absorbed, power-hungry, loveless, dominating. God isn't like that if, if you look at God with skin on in the form of Jesus. Being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. What is Jesus like? He's humble, but he's also self-sacrificially loving. The very people who were crucifying him were amongst the people who he was courageously dying to save. Wow. Talk about a kind of love that we all have got a way to go to attain, right? On the cross, Jesus literally loved the world to death. He answered our fists of hostility with the kiss of grace. The very wounds that our sins were inflicting upon his body and soul were the wounds through which salvation and love were flowing to us. Wow, what courage, what mercy, and what love. What if this year God wants to make you more like that? More deeply humble and more self-sacrificially loving. Question two, why are we not more like Jesus? I'm going to quickly jump to verse 4, 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure in this warped and crooked generation. Without Jesus in your life, it's the easiest thing in the world to join in to a warped and crooked generation. I don't think I even need to spend a lot of time convincing you that that things are warped and crooked at the moment and in the world. Yes, humanity has turned away from God. Just think, we tend to take the good things God gives and use that gift in self-indulgence and ingratitude. We take God's good gifts and we bend them to be little gods in our making. And we're crooked. Try as we might. We just can't quit sin. Martin Luther once commented that sin was like his beard. Though shaved off in the morning so his face was smoothed, by nightfall it had grown back. Another analogy that I, that I, was, that I remember reading someone, somewhere and I couldn't find it. I don't know who said it. But it's in some book. There's a kind of fish that lives in the deep ocean. And um, it sleeps. And it's uh, vulnerable when it sleeps. So actually, while it sleeps, it emits this toxic poison around it. And basically, it sleeps in this cloud of toxic 
poison so that nothing else will come near it. But then it needs to wake up like after several hours and swim away, otherwise it's gonna die in the toxic poison. And I often think about my own heart like that. It's, it's like this deep, ugly fish that lives in the ocean and left on its own without being kind of hauled into the presence of God in times of worship like we've just experienced and reminded of its deepest, highest purpose. It's like a little fish that just like self-protectively starts to emit like this poisonous aura. And actually, over time, it's just, I'm, I'm killing myself and my soul slowly. You need to get the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing on you again and um, swim away from that stuff. We are bent and crooked. That's why we're not more like Jesus, because here's another reason. We don't see as he sees, and as such, we don't behold him in everything. This verse talks about... Uh, encouraging people to not be grumbling and complaining, comparing and coveting. What's at the root of those kind of actions? It's seeing things that are coming at you, it's seeing your life, and it's seeing it through a lens that isn't God's lens. It's seeing your life and everything that comes at you through a broken and crooked lens, not, not through Christ's eyes. And when we do that, we're not being Christ-like. Uh, I've got one son who is a natural-born grumbler. <laughs> feel like he came out like, oh, jeez, is it like life already? Like, and, um, we love him because he he always sees the glass is half empty, and he'll he'll uh, he the other day I was Terence shared this on Facebook. I was trying to kind of like encourage some some gratitude in him, and I shared this analogy that Terence had shared in a book he's writing about. Both a vulture and a sunbird fly over the same desert and they both find what they're looking for. The vulture finds dead things. The sunbird finds flowers and sweet nectar. You find what you're looking for, I said to him. And he he lay in his bed and he said, yeah, but the eagle flies over both and eats the sunbird. (laughs) Then even more recently, Again, he was complaining because he was sick of school and his brother was also sick. And he just said, I never get any time alone. And um, he's seven. So, I mean, he doesn't need that much time alone. But I was like, just lying with him in his bed, trying to, trying to just hear him out. And I said, you know, it would also be great if, apart from just thinking about all the things that are going wrong in your life, you just listed some things that are going right, you know? And he said, like what? So I said, well, like you have a mom that loves you. And he said, that is a happy thought. And then I said, and like you were born in Cape Town, South Africa. And he said, well, that just makes me remember that I've never traveled. (laughs) So I stopped there. But Paul is reminding this little guy and all of us to, if you want to grow in your Christ-likeness, grow in your quitting of grumbling and complaining. And Foss Camp, um, she's written a book that I keep on rereading called The Thousand Gifts. She speaks about the power of Eucharistio, which is thanksgiving in every season. And certainly Paul and Jesus seem to agree. Paul continues, he says, Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, God's purpose for us as his children is that we would shine like stars. Outside of Jesus, we're not shining. We're unilluminated and there's nothing 
different about us in this crooked and wicked generation. But when we trust in Jesus, we start with his name on our lips and slowly, steadily, shakily at times, his nature begins to seep into our lives. That's how we start to shine with his likeness. So how do we become more like Jesus? It's all um, book-ended by what Christ has done in you and what he is doing in you. Listen to this verse. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work in order to fulfill his good purposes. Isn't that wonderful, friends? Just unpacking that verse quickly. Um, it's, this is not like you got saved and you got your entry into a race and then God said, prove it. Show me what you can do. And you run further and further away from God's grace. No, um, one author says that the mature Christian should be using up grace like a Boeing 747 uses up jet fuel. It's in him that we live and move and have our being. It starts, continue to work out your salvation. So how did it start? It stated, started with you being saved by grace alone. You didn't earn it. God didn't choose you because you were particularly handsome or clever or just around at the right time. He chose you by his grace alone. But then we're called to work it out. We're called to actually sit with that and ponder it. Not just once, but daily. For it is God who works in you. Thirdly, isn't it wonderful that he has actually, he hasn't just saved you, but you've got this unfair advantage of his Holy Spirit working in you, continuing to work in you, and uh, to will and to work in order to fulfill his good good purpose. That, That first work is God working in you. To will and to work. That that last one is for you. So we work with God as He works in us to become more Christ-like. You cannot reproduce the character of Jesus in your own strength. New Year's resolutions, I'm a big fan of them. So far I've never got through January. Willpower, best intentions, they're just not enough. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to make the changes that God wants to make in our lives for his good purpose and for ours. When, when I mention the Holy Spirit, many of us think just of, uh, of the miraculous demonstrations, like, that, like the moment that Rog had with his co-director, which is amazing. But do you know most of the time, the Holy Spirit's power is released in your life in quiet, unassuming ways that you aren't even aware of. My point is that we become more like Jesus, not by imitation, but by his inhabitation. By the way, when it says that God works in you, that's a promise. Sure, I just feel like there's some of us that are sitting thinking, Julie, I've tried this, I've done this. I'm, I'm just looping, I'm going around the same, the same, same mountains. And I just felt God come so gently to you and say, this is a promise and I don't break my promises. I am working in you. You might have been stuck in some bad habits. Or some challenges that feel like they're just not going away. His Spirit inhabits you. His Spirit inhabits you and it works to will and to act according to His good purpose. He has not given up on you and He never will. Um, Just to to leave you with some metaphors and some practical uh, pictures of what this looks like working uh, the spirit working in us and us working with him 
Uh, becoming more like Jesus involves both God and us. And it can be, this illustration is of likening uh, yourself trying to cross an ocean. There's three ways you can cross an ocean. The first is in a rowboat. Some people try day after day to be good, to have a self-generated purpose, to become more like Jesus, and they're doing it in their own strength. They're taking a rowboat and they're trying to cross an ocean, and it's exhausting and ultimately unsuccessful. Their favorite motto is, God helps those who help themselves. Then there's the raft. Other people have given up trying to throw, I've definitely been here, and thrown themselves entirely on relying on God's grace. And they're like uh, drifting on a driftwood raft. They do nothing but they hang on and hope God gets them somewhere. Their favorite motto is, let go, let God. But neither trying purely in your own strength, nor just drifting on God's grace, is actually effective at living a life of purpose and getting to where God wants to take you. There's a third way, the sailboat, a much better vessel. If it moves at all, it's the gift of wind. You can't control the wind, but a good sailor learns how to discern the wind, its gusts and its direction, and adjusts their sails accordingly. Working with the Holy Spirit, which Jesus likened to the wind in John 3, is a lot like this. We learn to discern his breezes and the direction he wants us to go, and we train ourselves to catch more and more of those breezes. That's what that conference last week was about, learning how to actually hear God in our ordinary lives. That's how we become more like Jesus. What a gift the Holy Spirit is. Learning to hear his voice is how we become more like him. Learning to behold his face is how we become transformed into his likeness. Just to wrap up, in in worship last week, um, one of those prophetic times, um, I really felt God just, uh, you know how you can hear this and then you can hear God say it. And I felt God in worship just say to me, Julie, your purpose is to see as I see, to hear as I hear, speak like I speak, to think like I think, and to move like I move. It seems so simple, um, but it's not. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not dramatic either. God wants to incarnate in your life like he did back in the first century. It's not like you need to now wear um, kind of like Jesus sandals and grow your hair if you're a guy and, and think that You have to kind of levitate above Cape Town in the 21st century. No. What does it mean to be Christ as a 21st century Cape Townian woman? What does it mean to be Christ as a 21st century teenager? What does it mean to be Christ as a 21st century man living in Woodstock? When you overlay your life and your thoughts and your habits and your actions with His... A good exercise to do. Just try it this week. Just think. I wonder what part of my thoughts are like Christ and which ones, like if he was me, if he'd actually incarnated as Julie Williams, if that's how he decided to visit the earth, what's completely counter to his nature? Where are the gaps? Invite Christ and the Holy Spirit into those. Personally, this week, um, I, uh, you know, two steps forward, three steps back, I'm not, I haven't arrived. But some practical things that happened in my life this week was one, I was just ruminating on some people 
that I don't really like and that have hurt me. And I was thinking not generous thoughts about them. And I pulled into a parking and God surprised me with his voice, flipping head. He said, Julie, the only, I was thinking, I wonder what they're doing right now. And do you know what God said? He said, Julie, the only question you need to answer is this. Have I forgiven them? Because they, they, they had, I, I kind of have, had unforgiveness and, and I was feeling hurt. And I, and I sat in that car, in a car park, and I was like, gosh, let me think about this. Has God forgiven these people? Yes. Yes, he has. What in the world am I doing? Wasting any time holding on to unforgiveness and, and thinking bad thoughts. God forgive me as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. It's a moment of Christ-likeness in my day. A lot of, lot of snapshots of not Christ-likeness, but there was that. There was another moment when I was beside my... I felt like I almost lost my soul trying to get hold of SARS this last week for a reason. Oh, I felt like it was just like a personal persecution. I'd get through and I'd be halfway through explaining it. It's nice. And it would cut off. And then you've got no record. There's nothing, you just have to phone back again. And I felt very attacked. And like, very, I tried for three days. And I'm getting close to the end of Feb. I'm trying to change my tax status. And it was really difficult. Then I got this call me back situation in the middle of a meeting, not ideal, told everyone else to wait, went. And halfway through explaining to this lady, and she's put me on call waiting, I'm thinking, gosh, I can't believe I finally got through. And God says to me, all those interruptions were so that you could speak to this lady, Bronwyn. And I let her get through explaining to me everything. And I was just like, oh God, she's the SARS call center lady. Like, and then at the end of our conversation, we got somewhere, not everywhere. I said, Bronwyn, um, thanks for your help. She's like, yes. <laughs> like, I'm a Christ follower, and I feel like it's not an accident that, I, that you're on the call, and I feel like I've got a message from God. And she said, I'm a Christ follower too. And I had this word for her about stepping out from being this pot plant to being a, 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 an oak of righteousness part by a stream. Like, Basically, Psalm 1, like get away from people that are mockers and, and bringing you down. And she was weeping. <laughs> and we, that's how we left. And I thought, gosh, I know these calls are recorded. How bizarre. So I'm going to listen to this call. Like, what on earth? Is this like tax fraud? Like, what's going on? Those are, those are two high points in a very ordinary week. But I'm trying to hear like God hears and to see like God sees. That's what Christ-likeness is all about. It's not about self-righteousness or beating ourselves on our back when we get through a day and we think, gosh, I failed. It's about running into his ocean of grace. As I've, I'm really at the end now. As I've been thinking this over, here are some qualities of Christ I would do well to imitate and grow. And I just thought, God, what, what are you like? What were you like that's, that's transferable from the first century to here? What are your characteristics? Christ didn't rage clean. He didn't give his disciples snarky little lectures or side eye. He wasn't open, he was open to interruptions. In fact, he realized that the ordinary interruptions were the main thing. He was never driven by fear or self-preservation. He was hardly ever a victim in his mindset or passive-aggressive. He spent loads of time drawing away from the crowds and the voices around him to seek his father's voice. 
He cared very little about other people's expectations. He cared very much for little people. He spoke truth with love. He prophesied mainly on the move, not in the temple. He reserved his outrage for really important stuff. He had the full range of emotions. He loved deeply. He lived in community. He saw people we don't see. He saw beauty where others saw ashes. He moved toward problems. He moved toward untouchables. His actions troubled self-righteous people. Yet he wasn't afraid to be brutally honest. Yet he was so gentle with the broken and the scandalized. This is Jesus. This is Christ-likeness. Becoming more and more like him friends, is our shared purpose and privilege. It's a joy and a delight, not a chore. One last analogy is that um, that this life is meant to be like a dance. And at the beginning, this Christ-like walk is so, might feel complicated and like you're just stepping on toes and you don't know the steps and that's okay. I've watched my husband dance with our daughter Ivy and um, and how they, they dance on our Friday night dance sessions, if she wants to waltz with him, is she stands on his feet. And they dance beautifully together. She doesn't miss a step, because she's not trying to do it on her own. She's standing on his feet, they're locking eyes, and they're dancing together. That's a picture of Christ working in us while we work with him toward our purpose, Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Let's stand. God, in you, we live and move and have our being, whether we know it or not. In you, we live and move and have our being. God, on behalf of everyone here, I want to say I want to surrender my whole life to you. I want to raise the white flag like a sail and catch more of your wind that's working in me and through me for your glory, for the good of this world, and for my highest good. God, I let go of petty purposes, trying to make a name for myself or trying to, trying to um, self-invent what I'm here for. God, mainly, we are here to become more and more like you and reflect you to a crooked and wicked and broken world. God, here we are. Inhabit our praises and send us into this world. If you you are here and you're not a Christ follower, why not make today the day that you raise your white flag of surrender and you say, God, I'm tired of the pseudo-liberating life of trying to make my own life and my own purpose. I just want to fall into your ocean of grace and I want to be held by you, carried by you, found in you. You can do that right now.